Jonah, a fugitive prophet, a fishy tail, and a faithful God. And uh, I am so excited about all that God has for us in this, this time we're going to spend uh, in this book of the Bible. We're going to have a little fun uh, as we begin this. And, and I want to invite you, I'm not going to ask you to turn to a specific text in Jonah today. We're going to start that next week, but we are going to read the Jonah story, but we're going to read it in a little different way today. We're going to read it the way that, uh, that Lori and I have read it to our children growing up uh, in our home, and I thought we could have a little fun doing that, and so I've provided us with the story, and if you'll just go ahead, Sue, and turn to that first slide, uh, Jonah goes to Nineveh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the story, and then you'll notice at the bottom, you'll see some bolder font in parentheses, in brackets. Uh-oh, Jonah, you better go to Nineveh. That's your part, okay? Is it okay if we have a little fun with this and, and interactively engage the story together? So I'll read, and then when we get to the, the brackets, that's your sp- your chance to resound and engage with this. Uh-oh, Jonah, you better go to Nineveh. And there's, there's brackets on every page. You've got a line on every page, all right? So pay attention. Everybody awake? Everybody alive and breathing? Okay, pay attention as we go along. Here we go. You ready? Jonah goes to Nineveh. God said to Jonah, I have a little task. Get up and go to Nineveh and do what I ask. The people there are wicked, so tell them to obey. But Jonah got on board a ship and sailed the other way. Uh Uh-oh, Jonah, you better go to Nineveh. God sent a windstorm to shake up the boat. The frightened sailors worried that it wouldn't stay afloat. Jonah had been sleeping, but he heard the captain cry, Everybody pray, or we all may die. Uh Uh-oh, Jonah, you should have gone to Nineveh. Jonah told the sailors, it's all because of me. I'm sure the wind will stop if you throw me in the sea. They didn't want to do it, but the wind howled and roared. So they picked up Jonah and threw him overboard. Uh Uh-oh, Jonah, you should have gone to Nineveh. You guys are doing great. When Jonah hit the water, the wind stopped blowing, the boat stopped lurching, and the waves stopped rolling. But God prepared a fish, and as soon as it arrived, it opened up its mouth and swallowed him alive. Uh Uh-oh, Jonah, you should have gone to Nineveh. Everybody still out there? You're starting to kind of fade a little bit here. Down went Jonah with a great big swish. He landed at the bottom in the belly of the fish. For three days and three nights, he stayed that way. Then he prayed for help and promised to obey. That's better, Jonah. It's time to go to Nineveh. Jonah was relieved when he saw what God had planned. The fish threw him up and tossed him on the land. God said to Jonah, I want them to repent. So go preach to Nineveh. And this time Jonah went. That's good, Jonah. We're glad you went to Nineveh. Wasn't that fun? Come on. It was a blast. This was taken from the Rhyme Bible uh, by uh, 
uh, a children's Bible that was published a number of years ago. I don't know if they still publish it or not, but um, anyway, Jonah goes to Nineveh, a fugitive prophet, a fishy tale, and a faithful God. Like many, if not most people raised in a church-going home, I've been aware of the story of Jonah since childhood, as perhaps many of you have. And his story told here from the Rhyme Bible, as I said, is, is one way that we, as parents, introduced Jonah to our children. I must admit, however, that to go deeper into the story and study this short book can become an experience in puzzlement and riddle and wonder. The number of themes included in this little story is a challenge for us as we seek to be those who are diligent in reading and properly understanding the Bible. Jonah seems to be about numerous and various subjects. It's about race. It's about nationalism. Since Jonah himself seems to be more concerned over his nation's military security than he is over a city of spiritually lost people, race and nationalism. Is it about God's call to mission? Is it, is it, since Jonah at first flees from the call and then later goes, but regretfully, is, is, is it mission that Jonah is about? Is it about the struggles Christ followers have in obeying and trusting God? I believe the answer is yes to all of these and more. There's a wealth of scholarship that exists about the book of Jonah that reveals to us the treasures of the story, the, the multi-layered meaning and the varied applicability of it to so much of our human living, our thought, our worldviews, our cultures. The message of Jonah certainly speaks to the spirit of the age in which you and I live, our world, our everyday life with all of its growing chaos and craziness. When we read the story of Jonah, we can easily mistake and think of it as just a simple fable. We can make that error. You know, we think about the account of the great fish as the dramatic, even implausible climax of the plot. I mean, did that really happen? Like a big fish swallowed him? But as, as we carefully read and study the story, as we're going to do in the coming weeks, I think we will find it to be an ingenious and an artfully crafted work of prophetic, historical, biblical literature. Despite the literary sophistication of the text, many modern contemporary readers today still dismiss the work as fictitious. It's just a fictional story because the text tells us that Jonah was saved from the storm 
when swallowed by a great fish. In chapter 1 and verse 17. So what's important for us here, and I'm just going to set the table around this this morning as we prepare to enter into this, this story, this book. I'm setting the table for us this morning. And one of the, the first things that is key to our understanding Jonah is understanding the, the genre of Jonah. Genre, what's that? Well, genre has to do with the, the, how the book is classified. And genre is determined whether it be in music or art or literature or whatever. Genre is determined by noting some common characteristics and then classifying that music or story, whatever it is, as a certain genre. And the books of the Bible have genre to them as well. And we must understand that. It's key that we understand that in order to properly understand and interpret Jonah's message. What's the genre of Jonah? Is it fiction? Is it, is it allegory? Is it prophetic parable? Is it history? How we respond to this will depend on how we read the rest of the Bible, in fact. If you accept the existence of God and the resurrection of Christ, which, in fact, is a far greater miracle than the Jonah story, then there's nothing particularly difficult about reading Jonah in a more literal fashion as a story that teaches us, a historic story that teaches us rather than a fictional story. That is, Jonah is a story of real historical events that prophetically teach us meaningful, valuable, and timeless everyday lessons. There's lessons here in Jonah, this ancient book, for you and me today in our world in our context. And, and this was the author's intent. While it's placed among the prophets in the canon of Scripture, Jonah stands out from other prophetic books in that it has no actual prophecy that contains a message. And that's because the story itself is a prophetic message to us. Of course, there are many people today that believe all miracles are impossible. But that skepticism is just that. Belief that itself cannot be proven. That's what it is. It's a belief that itself cannot be proven. All miracles are impossible. Not only that, but the text of Jonah gives no evidence to us of the author having made up or fabricated the miracle account of the fish. Often, it's characteristic for a fiction writer to add supernatural elements to the story in order to create excitement or spectacle, in order to hold the reader's attention. But this writer, 
doesn't capitalize on the event at all in that way. For example, the great fish is mentioned. Watch this. The great fish is mentioned only in two brief verses. And there's no descriptive dramatic details whatsoever. You'd think that if the author was seeking to sensationalize something in order to hold our attention, that would have been an opportune time to do it. But the fish is hardly mentioned. It's, it's reported to us more as a simple matter of fact regarding what happened. So, in that light, perhaps we ought not to be distracted from the message of Jonah by the fish, as people often get hung up in that. The careful structure of the book of Jonah shows us the subtle characteristics of the author's message. The book recounts two incidents or two accounts that unfold in almost completely parallel patterns. In chapters 1 and 2, Jonah is given a command from God, but he fails to carry it out. And then in chapters 3 and 4, and there's only four chapters in the book, in chapters 3 and 4, he's given a second chance. And this time he carries out God's command. And in both episodes, we see how Jonah is a staunch religious person and how, as such, he regards and relates to people who are racially, ethnically, and religiously different from him. We see revealed obvious inconsistencies in the application of his faith. The book of Jonah reveals to us many insights about God's love for all cultures, all societies, all people groups beyond the community of Christ-following believers. The book of Jonah reveals to us God's opposition to toxic nationalism and those who arrogantly disdain other races and ethnicities. And it shows us how to be the people of God in mission in the world, despite the subtle and unavoidable power of idolatry in our own lives and our own hearts. It speaks to us in all of these ways as we're going to see as we unpack this book. We see a lot going on in our world right now, and as we look particularly south of the border, we, we see a vivid example of toxic nationalism and where evangelical believers somehow have made that their faith. Faith looks like this. And it's an elevation of the, the empire, if you will, more than it is an elevation of Christ in our lives. Now, we like to take comfort here north of the border because we say, well, we're Canadian, we're not like that. 
But the truth of the matter is, is that perhaps we are like that. It's just a little more subtle. You know, in a Canadian way. We like to think as Canadians that we don't have a problem with racism in our country. But do you know, racism is so pervasive, we don't realize how it truly has affected all of us. Again, in a more Canadian kind of way. Jonah speaks to these things. God, through Jonah, addresses these matters. This is why the message of Jonah is so important for us today. As we get hold of the insights it yields to us, we can become better kingdom ambassadors. I'm not against patriotism in any way. I believe we should be patriotic as Canadians. We could certainly learn a little from the Americans that way. But there's a difference between patriotism and what we're going to see God addresses here with Jonah and through Jonah with us in regards to toxic nationalism that, that elevates the nation almost in an idolatrous fashion. We're going to see how idolatry pervades through our lives in its entirety in very subtle ways that we don't even recognize. There's so much here in this, this short story, this little book for us, and we're going to see how we can instead become better ambassadors of the kingdom of God, of whom our citizenship is first and foremost. Hello? You realize that, don't you? That as a Christ follower, as a true Christ follower, your citizenship before, before it's anything else, before it's Malaysian, before it's, before it's Chinese, before it's uh, South American, before it's Africa, before it's any of that, before it's, uh, for, for me, being born and raised here in Canada, before it's, Can our citizenship, before it, it, it's, it's anything to do with the nation we were born and bred and raised in, our citizenship as Christ followers is in the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Before I'm a Canadian, I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. And therefore, that is to be what drives and dominates the rest of my life. Even the kind of patriotism I express. Are you tracking with me? Jonah deals with all of this. God deals with Jonah on these matters in his own life as a follower of his. So as we get a hold of these insights that Jonah is going to yield to us, we can become better kingdom ambassadors, better bridge builders, better peacemakers, better agents of reconciliation in our world and in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. This is the great calling and mandate that God has given us as His people, as people of the Spirit. So we just finished looking at, especially today, such people of the Spirit are the need of the hour in the midst of this darkness that we've already begun to reflect on in this first Sunday of Advent. Moreover, to understand all of these relationship lessons, 
in Jonah of social and cultural and ethnic diversity, we have to realize that the primary teaching of the book of Jonah is not sociological. It's not cultural or ethnical. The primary teaching, though it does address all those matters, the primary teaching of the book of Jonah, however, is theological. Say that with me, will you? Theological. It's theological. This isn't a social issues book. But theology is going to speak to that. And any theology worth its salt does just that. And we're going to see that in Jonah. This story recalls one of the most profound theological concepts found in the Old Testament in the Bible. And it's this. God loves all people. God loves all people. And He desires to share His forgiveness and His mercy with all of them. With all of us. No matter what your ethnicity is, no matter what your cultural background is, no matter what your experience is, no matter what your story is, no matter whether you're an individual that's struggling in different ways, struggling with your sexual identity, struggling with gender, struggling, all the stuff that we see going on in the world around us, we must always remember that in the midst of the swirl and the storm of it all, God loves all people. Jonah proclaims this. This is the charisma, the proclamation of Jonah. Israel had been charged with revealing that message that God loves all people and desires to share His forgiveness and mercy with them. Israel had been charged with revealing that very message, but somehow they did not grasp the importance of it. And this failure eventually led to extreme religious pride. And, and, and this is what we're seeing in Jonah. In other words, Israel became very nationalistic and exclusivistic, refusing to fulfill that mission that God had given them. And Jonah himself had a strong commitment to this same viewpoint. In Jonah can be found the seedbed, in fact, of New Testament Pharisaism. The Pharisees didn't just come along in the New Testament. We see the root system of the, that way of thinking in the Old Testament, even in Jonah. This religious nationalism and his disdain that mercy will be offered to non-covenant people. It, that, that 
it prompts Jonah to decide to leave Israel and run, as the, as the text says, from the presence of the Lord, from the face of the Lord. Jonah, please hear this, because it so speaks to me and to you. Jonah wants a God of his own making, created in Jonah's own image. A God who simply strikes with the back of his hand the bad people, the wicked Ninevites, and blesses the good people. Jonah and his countrymen. Hallelujah. Are you seeing the idolatry here? How many of us endeavor shaping God in our own image as well? And we worship that God. And we think we're worshiping God, the one true God, but instead we're worshiping a God of our own making. For Jonah, when the real God, not Jonah's self-created counterfeit, keeps showing up throughout the story, Jonah is thrown into fretful fury and pouting despair. Jonah finds the real God to be an enigma, a riddle, because he cannot reconcile the mercy of God with the justice of God. In Jonah's opinion, the inhabitants of Nineveh deserved severe judgment. Wipe them out. How in the world, Jonah asks, can God be merciful and forgiving to people who have done such violence and evil? How can God be both merciful and just? These are the things we're going to unpack a little more in the coming days. Interestingly, that question, how can God be both merciful and just, is not answered in the book of Jonah. As a part of the greater narrative of the entire Bible, however, the book of Jonah is like a chapter that drives the Scripture's overall plot line forward. And, and we must never miss that. We must never, just as we must never pull a verse out of its context and come up with an interpretation for it, we must never pull a book out of its context either. The greater context of the story and the narrative of Scripture. Biblical theology. It, it has to do with everything from Genesis to Revelation. So we're not developing here so much a theology of Jonah. We're looking at God's theological message in Jonah but we're looking at it also within the greater context of the overall story of God, the overall redemptive narrative. You tracking with me? And when we do that, the book of Jonah is like a chapter that drives that scriptural plot forward. It teaches us to look ahead to how God redeems the world, all of creation through the One, 
the one whom we are yearning for in this Advent season, the one whom we celebrate in this Christmas season coming, the one who called himself the ultimate Jonah. Jesus said in Matthew 12 and verse 41, I think it's on the screen for us, read it together with me, will you? It's in the yellow on the, on the frame here. Read it nice and loud together with me. This is Jesus' words regarding Jonah. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Jesus refers to Himself as the ultimate Jonah. The message of the biblical prophets, of which Jonah is no exception, always had its centerpiece in Jesus Christ the Messiah. Always. Their message reminds us who God is. Holy, merciful, and just. And that present reality is not ultimate reality. And isn't that a beautiful picture right there of Advent and Christmas? In Advent, we face our present reality, our current reality. We face the darkness. We face the chaos. We face the brokenness of the world. We face the brokenness in our own lives, the yearning, the longing for wholeness to come for that incompleteness to be made complete as we look ahead to the ultimate reality in Christ. Jonah teaches us these things. Prophetically placing Jesus Christ the Messiah at its center. Always the prophetic message does that. Notice that. that that's, a, that's a handy... Uh, identification marker right there for you to, to identify true prophetic ministry that happens even today. It has nothing to do with send your money in and you'll be blessed. It has nothing to do with let me send you this cloth that I've prayed for and you apply it to your body. And you'll be. It has nothing to do with prosperity preaching and name it and claim it and blab it and grab it and all of that stuff. That's, that's tagged as prophetic ministry today that we see on our websites and online and on television. It has nothing to do with any of that. The prophetic message of Scripture always has as its centerpiece Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Beloved, God is both just and justifier to those who believe. There was only one possible way for God to give away His righteousness and still be true to both His justice and His mercy. And that was to offer up His own Son. The greatest gift of Christmas. So now because we stand on the faithfulness of Messiah Christ Jesus, God declares us righteous in His eyes. Romans 2.26 tells us that. And, and if, you're, if, if, if you here with us today, 
if you're here visiting, if you're a guest, if you're here and you've never responded to Christ in this way, you can today. You can place your faith and your trust and your life into the faithfulness of Messiah Christ, Jesus. And as you do, God declares you righteous in His eyes. As you turn your life from your way of doing things, from sin, from shame, that's what repentance means. It, 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 it's not only a change of mind, but it's a change of life. It's a change of direction. It's a complete change. And as you recognize your need to do that, as so many of us in this room today have, and you respond to Him, and you give your life to walk with Him, you enter into that abundant life and living that can only be found in Him, and you are declared righteous in Him. And we follow Him, and we walk with Him, and we journey with Him. We are to be kingdom messengers of this good news. This reconciling good news. Jonah shows us this. Only when we fully grasp this gospel in the story of Jonah will we be neither cruel exploiters like the Ninevites nor condemning Pharisaical believers like Jonah. Rather, we will be Spirit-filled, Spirit-formed, Spirit-transformed, Christ-like people of God those who reveal Him to the world. Even in the brokenness and the yearning of our lives that we reflect on in this Advent season unto Christmas, this is the story of Jonah. A fugitive prophet, a fishy tale, and a faithful God. And incidentally, let me just throw in this freebie here for you. I won't charge you anything for this. Christmas Black Friday deal right here, okay? Ready? It cannot go unnoticed when we read Jonah and study this book that there are similarities that can be drawn between this story and the story Jesus told of the prodigal son. One of my favorite stories of Jesus. We have no way of knowing whether Jesus Himself had Jonah in mind when He told that famous parable, but there's reason to wonder. First, we see the fugitive Jonah playing the prodigal son running from his father. Luke 15, 11-24. Then, in the latter half of the book of Jonah, we see echoes of the older brother who obeys his father, but condemns and chews his father out for his graciousness and faithfulness to repentant sinners. The last half of the story of Jonah. The parallel conclusions to both these stories is so very significant. They both end with questions from the father to the Pharisaical son, and from Father God to Jonah, the Pharisaical prophet. 
They are questions that also confront us. They also speak to us today, to you, to me. This is what we're in for as we begin to drill down into Jonah. And can I ask you, and can I invite you to do this as we prepare? Perhaps some of you have already been doing this. I don't know. I know some of you are, are very studious this way. As we prepare to drill down into this text, the text of this great story, can I invite you to read through it this week even? Or it can very easily be done in one sitting. It's just four chapters. It's, a, it's a very easily uh, tackled in that way. Whether you, you, you read it through, you could read through all of it this afternoon if you wanted to, but whether you do it that way or whether you break it into portions this coming, can I invite you to do that? Just in preparation so that you've got a fresh, big picture uh, it's view of Jonah. It's fresh on your minds as we enter into this together.